I'm Bob McCallum. He's John Shannon. Hello, everybody. And once again, we're together. You feel you're you're sounding better today, Robert. Is I feel it marginally better. Thank Is it the you, drugs? Man. Is it the drugs? No drugs. Oh, okay. Not taking anything. Wow. Chicken soup. I've had about enough chicken soup. I can tell you. I've been eating chicken soup for lunch and dinner all week. Well, chicken soup is great when you're sick for a couple of times. And then, you know, then you start looking around. I go, oh, I don't really want anything else. Just a minute, Bob. Hey, Mickey, cancel the chicken soup. Yeah, I don't send any more chicken soup. <laughs> Honest to Rudy. And I've done the packaged chicken soup, like the Lipton uh, packages. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I've done the canned thing, the Campbell's canned thing, trying to mix it up a little bit. But chicken soup is chicken soup at the end of the day. What about DoorDash? You've probably done DoorDash too. or I actually haven't. I mean, it's literally been chicken soup and maybe um, a grilled cheese sandwich if I feel really aggressive. Good. Anyway, thank you for asking, John. Well, we're always concerned. And I, when I walk really down are. the street, no. when I walk down the street, people say, is, how is Bob? No, they don't. <laughs> they don't do it. Not once have they ever done that. You lie like a rug. They couldn't give a flying fadu. Uh, we're going to talk to um, one of our friends, one of the good guys in, um, in sports in general, not yep. just in, in hockey. Jim Nell is the general manager of the Dallas Stars. They got off to a really crummy start. They didn't win a regulation game. I think it was game 12. Anytime they won a game, it was always in an overtime or a shootout. So there, there was a little bit of panic going on in Dallas. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, it didn't get as much attention as Montreal and Vancouver. No. Nope. Both of whom wound up making changes. Dallas righted the course. And uh, nobody has been victimized as a result of their poor start. So... We're going to address that and a bunch of other things with uh, the GM of the Dallas Stars, Jim Nill, when we come back right after this. McCowan and Shannon back with you on the uh, podcast slash radio program. And uh, with us today is the general manager of the Dallas Stars. Jim Nill is uh, with us. How are you doing? You look good. I'm well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. It's always good to hear. My wife doesn't always give me those compliments, so it's, it's good. But uh, good morning to you guys, and uh, thank you for having me on your show. Well, thanks for joining us. You're on the road with your team. Um, is that a common occurrence for you? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's just the way the game is now with uh, you know, the salary cap, call-ups, you know, this COVID situation. Uh, it's, there's something that happens every day, it seems like, in today's world. So I think it's important to be there to support the coaches and the players. Uh, something that's really different, too. You know, I, I came up in the Detroit system, and I was very fortunate in Detroit – uh, I could go to a game every night there. You, know, you had University of Michigan, you had OHL, you had under 18 team. Grand Rapids was two hours down the road. In Dallas, for me to go to a game, it's a, it's a week long adventure. You know, I got to plan it out a week in advance, and you know everything's a three hour flight wherever you want to go, four hours up to Ontario, and so it's really different that way. I really had to change kind of my, you know, I'm, I'm a manager as they say, and. And to be a good manager, you got to hire good people and let them do the work. And that's what I've had to learn to do. Actually, Jimmy, it's, it's one of the fascinating, fascinating stories that people in the, in the hockey world don't really understand. Dallas, to being in the center of the continent, is really isolated, isn't it? Yeah, we're very isolated. We're, our closest flight is an hour and a half at BC Lewis. Everything is pretty well two hours. Uh, kind of our, our common theme when we land, when we come back from a road trip, say we go to Chicago for a one night, one game or Minnesota, we always work. It's two 30 in the morning by the time we get home. So that's just, that's just, uh, it's reality, but you know, we, because of that, we adjust some things we do. We get to travel different at times and more days off. And we adjust that. One of the roles of a general manager was always scouting. And I know that's less so now, but I gather you rely more on your scouts than you yourself going to see players. True. That, that's very true. That, that's the number one thing I learned when I took this job. And I was fortunate. I had some great mentors. You know, and I go back to, you know, Jimmy Devolano, Ken Holland, Scotty Bowman. I've had some great mentors. And uh, the one thing that I really learned is hire good people, let them do their job. And uh, I really, I was, I love scouting. And I was always the guy rolling up my sleeves. Let's go find the next player. I can't do that in my role anymore. And uh, it's up to them, my people. And I've got good people to do that. And uh I'm there to help them along the way. Uh, but as a general manager, you really, you got to oversee everything, but I'm no longer in charge of the amateur scouting or the pro scouting. I got good people that do that for me. 
so when we, how many non NHL games would you watch a year live? Live, uh, I go down to Austin. Now we're for our, our American League teams down in Austin. I get I try to get down there four to five times a month. So you know, over so about thirty American League games. When I'm on the road once in a while, I might be able to. You know, if we head up to Canada and have a road trip, uh, I can head out and catch some junior games or some college games. But I wouldn't say it's it's probably not more than fifty to seventy five. Hmm. Uh, and in I'm Detroit, really, it, and in Detroit, it would have been. It's every night. You know, I'd, I'd be in the office in Detroit. Say we played last night in Detroit against San Jose at home. Um, and then today I would, I'd head over to Windsor or I might go to the University of Michigan, watch a game or down to Grand Rapids and be home in bed by one o'clock hmm. you know, the next day. So it's, it's a big difference. I really had to adjust my, the way I used to work. I really did make an adjustment. This may sound like an obvious question, but do you spend more time watching video as a result of not being able to go to games? Yes, a great question. Yes, I do. A lot of video and a lot of watching just games on TV live. I do a lot of that. And uh, uh, that's a great question. We've done a lot more video. Uh, you know, my scouts are out there. I get their list. They say, here's a guy to watch. And I'll have our video people uh, tape something and uh, and I'll go watch it. But it, I got to be careful, too, because it's not the same as live. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a little bit different. Well, you, yeah. you, you touched on the, the COVID uh, issue. Um, with what's gone on and, and the commissioner yesterday said that 19 teams 19 of 32 teams have had uh to to revert to uh different code covid protocols because of outbreaks uh, how concerned are you about it between say now and and the olympic break well we're very concerned uh you know i just got up this morning kind of a routine as we we test you know we'll have a test uh, done you know say, say yesterday and we get the results sometime early this morning so you wake up you grab your phone and your, your heart's pounding because you're just like let's hope we're negative you know say if we had a game tonight you're, you're really worried you know we're on the road all of a sudden if we get three or four positive tests i, I probably can't get any players up here mm. uh, depending on our injury and our reserve list you know where we're at uh, for our roster i might not have room to add three or four players and so Every day, it's you, you pick up your phone and you're waiting for that email to come through from the testing company, and uh, you just hope it's negative. So it, it has changed the landscape. Would, would you like the taxi squad back? Uh, yes and no. For the NHL team, yes. For the players and their development, no. Um, that's something that we've really found is last year has turned out to be a major burden for some of these young kids that we had on the taxi squads didn't didn't play in the American League or played a little bit in the American League, but mostly in the taxi squads. And, you know, they're, hey, it's, it was a pretty good life. You know, they're flying around on jet airplanes or, you know, nice hotels, playing every once in a while, but not a lot. Um, and now all of a sudden they came to training camp and they got to try to make the team. They thought they were so close, but now they find out they're not that close. Now they go down the American League and the American League isn't what it was last year because most of the guys in taxi squads were the best players were up with the NHL teams. Now the majority of them are down in the American league and the American league's tougher mm. guys that had success down there now aren't having success and they can't figure out why. And it's been hard on the development part of young kids, in the taxi squad. So for our team up top, yes, it would be great to have uh, for the development of the younger players, a uh, little concerned about that. Has this been a topic of conversation among the general managers and within the league? The, the, yeah. the notion of the taxi squad. Yeah, we've talked about it. You know, there's some teams that got in tough situations, and uh, yeah, you no, know, and, and you, it, maybe is it a hybrid or something? I I don't know. Uh, you, you know, you allowed to have maybe an extra goalie up top, or you put extra one or two players. Um, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a tough thing. Uh, we're fighting through it, and uh, you just don't want it to there to be a competitive disadvantage or advantage because of COVID. That's the tough part. You know, some teams and you know, New York Islanders been decimated. We went through it last year. We got hit early, mm-hmm. missed a lot. Then we had had an unfortunate storm and never caught up. And uh, it, it's tough. It, it's a grind. So and it, it affects the balance of the schedule. The it, it, actually, you you bring up a question about the goaltenders. We ever since David Ayers won that game for Carolina uh, in Toronto, uh, we we've almost kind of made heroes out of these e-bugs as they're called emergency backup goaltenders um 
if you do that, isn't that really changing the, the balance of, of competition? And isn't, wouldn't it be better to have a third goalie available for you at any time? It is, but then, you know, everything's like an octopus. It grows, things grow from it that you don't think of, you know, so now you got a guy up there, he's not playing much. He's just practicing. And uh, so how's his development? It's, you know, you better to have to have an older guy, um, you know, what's the salary? How's it work against the cap? So there's so many things that kind of grow off these things. Would it be nice? Yes. Um, if it's a younger player, he's not playing any games. Now you're hurting his development. Um, and that and that position is so tough for development as it is. Uh, so it is something that we've talked about internally. We almost got to that point about three, four years ago, we were going to have a third guy. Uh, there's different things come into play. There's uh, There was workman comps. Every state, every province has different rules for those type of situation. So there's a lot of things that affected it. Uh, so it's not as clear cut as we sometimes think. Um, with Jim Neal, the general manager of the Dallas Stars, your team didn't get off to a very good start. Um, I don't have to tell you that. And, um, and, and, and all's well since then. But I'm intrigued by what a general manager thinks and does when that kind of stuff happens. Fans panic. Fans are looking for somebody's head. Fans think that that's, you can't recover from it. Somebody has made a big mistake. What did you go through with that first, whatever, nine, 10 games? Yeah, well, you, you, I think it's important to have a good feel for your team. Uh, you, know, you know what you've put together and uh, have you misjudged some players? Is there some guys that maybe you, you thought were, you know, maybe younger players weren't, aren't ready yet? Uh, so does that need to change? Did you sign some free agent guys that just aren't fitting in? Um, so you got to have a good feel for your team and then you got to give your coaches a chance to work out the wrinkles. Um, you know, it depends a little bit how you're losing. Um, you know, does your team have your identity, but they're just not good enough. Now you've got, now you got to do something drastic, make a trade maybe, or is your team just struggling? They're not playing the way you've seen them play in the past. The coaches are trying to put in a new system. So you have to have a good feel for that. You know, and you mentioned it that word patience there's not much of it in the world anymore but it is important in this position you do have to have patience it doesn't matter what you do in life. Uh, you've got to have patience you got to let people work through things you got to let players work through everything um you know we had a lot of guys an example a lot of guys missed a whole season because of injuries and surgeries and uh, to expect them to come back at 100 percent isn't fair to them so we had to let them get it up and running so so there's different scenarios that you have to walk through and, uh, you know, and communication is important with the coaches. What do they feel your team's at with the players? What do they think their game's at? Um, but as you know, the temperature has been turned up in this world, and I think we need to turn it down. And, and sometimes you just got to let's let things settle in and see where we're at. And it used to be you'd, you'd start panicking at 25 or 30 games. Now we're panicking at eight to 10 games. And yeah. I think that's, yeah. where, that's where you got to be careful. How, how do you, you talked about uh, dialing it down. How do you do that? I think that's where communication is important. Mm. Uh, you know, your, I guess your style, you know, some guys are, you know, I, I'm, I'm competitive. I, I do have a temper, but I've learned that I got to bring that down and you got to let's, where, where does get mad at people and everything else? Where does that work sometimes? So, so you got to, Sometimes you need to get mad at guys, but and uh, frustration sets in. So it's a real balancing act. Your uh, your relationship with Rick, your coach Rick Bonus, uh, I, I see, and I've known both of you since both of you played. Um, yeah. um, to me, it looks like a natural relationship, but and you guys publicly hide your competitive styles. How, how would you describe your relationship with him? Well, we have a very good relationship. You know, going back, a lot of people don't know this, but played I played against Rick, and then Rick coached me in uh, Winnipeg. So, <laughs> so we got quite a relationship now. And then I worked with him in Ottawa. I was with the Ottawa Senators that first year of expansion. He was the coach there. Uh, and then we made full circle, came back here, and uh, he was our assistant and became the head coach. And uh, we've got a great relationship. I respect him so much as a person, you know, first of all, as a person, you can't help Rick Bonus is salt to the earth. He's got great values. He respects people. Players want to play for him. Uh, and then away from the rink, you wouldn't meet a better man. If you need something, uh, 
And that doesn't mean we don't have great conversations. We we get to, we have our moments and get mad and challenge each other. But you you need to have you need to have that. And, uh, speaking of good. yeah, speaking of those conversations, and I'm intrigued by this too, and not to dwell on the beginning of this season, but do you talk to your coach more during a losing streak, or are you inclined to back off and let him try and figure it out? I talk to them more in between games. After games, I, I kind of stay away. You know, after you've had after you've had a tough loss to go down on that dressing room, you know, I've got ideas what went wrong. They've got ideas. They've been in the heat of the battle. For me to go down there and to go in and toss a chair around or do something or get mad, it, it, that doesn't solve anything. Those guys have been in a battle, just been through a game. They, they know more of the situation than I do. I'm watching, but they're right down on the bench. They knew more of what's happened with the players. So it's something that I've learned, and I learned that, like, as I get back to I've learned this from, you know, Jimmy Devilano's and Ken Holmes and Scotty Bowman's. Let, let's sleep on it. And a lot of times, things that look bad that night aren't as bad the next day. And now we can sit down as individuals and let's talk through it and, and kind of make the right thing. So I, I kind of monitor the situation of the game, and sometimes I'll just stay away from the dressing room. No sense going down there. I'll go check with the trainer who's injured. Do we have to make a call up or something? Kind of make a tour of the dressing room. But to go into that dressing room after a tough loss, that doesn't get you anywhere. And then the next morning, I'll sit down, go in, meet with the coaches, and then we'll walk through things. I see. For, from a practical perspective, so last night you lost 4 nothing in Los Angeles. Uh, how, how do you avoid talking to Rick when you're sitting across the aisle with him on the plane? <laughs> but we uh you know it was a tough loss the last, last couple of games have been great for us and uh, so i just i just stayed away i went down and then uh you're on the plane but they're i can tell they're digging into the game and stuff i, I just you know we'll see a few things we had a few conversations uh we sit next to each other on the bus and a few conversations but we said let's talk tomorrow and we just leave it so um when when you were forced to get rid of jim montgomery was there any doubt that rick bonus was the guy under our situation, yes, it, 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 it had to be Rick. Um, you know, he was a senior guy. I've got some great assistants here. You know, you start talking about John Stevens, uh, you know, these type of people. They're, they're, they've been head coaches. Uh, you know, Todd Nelson, Derek Blackstall, all been head coaches. But uh, Rick was the guy. I know that for the situation and the timing of it, I knew that he had the, uh, the year and the respect of the players, which was going to be important because it was a short turnaround. It was mm -hmm. the next day. We had to make that decision. So I know that he had the respect of the players and whatever he was, his message was going to be, was going to be received by the players. When, you, uh, when uh, earlier this season, I don't know whether the decision was yours or Rick's, but you actually changed positioning of some of those coaches. John Stevens went upstairs, correct? Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. We sat on talk and we said, you know what, let's, things are, we were struggling and sometimes you get a different view. It's good to get a different, you know, go up top, watch the game, see some things that you may not be seeing from down below. It's, it is a different perspective. So we just, we had internal talk and said, let's switch that up a little bit. You, you, you're trying to push every button when you're struggling. And uh, if we all had the answer, you know, we'd push the right button, but we don't. So you, you try different things. And of course, then when that happens, then everybody starts talking on social media that, that, that they're, because I know you follow a lot of people on Twitter, Jim. I know you yeah, follow people. Just, this Jay Shannon guy I always follow and stuff. And then there's this <laughs> podcast I follow too. So. Yeah, ignore that. Ignore yeah. that. How do you manage how do you manage to do that? Because you know people within your organization, heck, maybe even your owner, you know, <laughs> start asking questions. Yeah, no, they do. And uh, but that's where you gotta you gotta believe in your your values and your decisions. And we had a reason for doing it. Uh, you know, there's situations every day that come up that you know that the social media world is not going to agree with. But if you follow that and believe in it, uh, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So you got to stick with your beliefs and what you think is what's right for the team. And that's the most important. With Jim Neal, the general manager of the uh, Dallas Stars, we'll take a quick break and come back with more right after these messages. Bob McCowan, it's John Shannon, and Jim Neal, the uh, GM of the Dallas Stars, is uh, with us. So you play in a market where the Cowboys are, well, we don't know what the Cowboys are. At the beginning of the year, they looked like they were going to be great. And they're, that just, was, I'm they're, sure. just, they're just the biggest thing on the planet. That's all. Yeah. Well, 
And uh, the Mavs aren't great this year. Uh, Rangers signed a couple of guys, um, uh, big money guys. So you have competition within the other sports, especially at this particular time of year. Do you pay any attention to that? How much does it impact you in your role? It, it doesn't impact me too much in my role, but do I pay attention to it? Yes, because, you know, we, we are a business. Uh, we have to operate as a business. Um, we're very fortunate. We have a good following. Um, it is a tough market. You know, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are unique. They're their own package and they've done a great job. I give them credit for what a great job they've done. Uh, they've built this new facility. It's out by our facility and all the professional sports have facilities out kind of by us, their practice facilities other than the baseball. And, uh, and even saying that the minor league teams right in behind our rink, their, their uh, facility. So, uh, we're all kind of together, um, and I give the credit to the Cowboys. They, they built this facility in this little town that's all just, it's, it's an unbelievable situation. So they've done a great job and, uh, and rightfully so. They should be where they're at. And then, like I said, we're in competition with the other ones. Um, in the end, you got to win uh, pretty consistently in these type of markets. Uh, it's important. Uh, you know, they'll put up with a little bit of rebuild, but uh, it's competition. As long as you got a good product, uh, we do pretty well. You know, we have a great rink down there. We, we share that with the Maverick, uh, the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, do I pay attention to it? Yes, uh, that's part of the business. Uh, but in the end, you know, it's important to, to win and try to win consistently. That's the big thing. What's your, do you know what the fan crossover base is? Like, do you get, do you have, are more of your fans, do they tend to be Cowboy fans or Rangers fans? Or I assume not Mavericks fans because the seasons are parallels. Mm -hmm. There seems to yeah. be a, a definitive separation between the NHL yeah. and the NBA. Yeah, there, there's a big separation. Everybody's a Cowboys fan pretty well down there. Yeah. We've got a, interesting uh, demographics down in Dallas. A lot of transplants, or however you call that. Uh, a lot of people from California have moved into uh, Texas. You know, We've had uh, Toyota's moved their head office to Texas. Chase Bank is in Texas. Tesla's down there. So a lot of companies have moved into Texas. So it's interesting when we come in, you know, when we come in to play LA Kings, we're going to have a lot of LA Kings fans. Um, oh. So it, it's really uh, evolving. Whoever we're playing that night uh, usually have their two or 3,000 fan base that come in to cheer for that night. So it, it's an interesting dynamics that way. As a guy who's a former scout, do you see a lot more kids from Texas playing the game and playing in the NHL one day? Yes, that's something that our organization's done a great job. We have seven what we call star centers. They built seven arenas. This one way back when they first came here, and they started to add a couple since I've been here. And uh, the minor league hockey or the minor hockey association in Dallas is strong and, and it's very vibrant. It's uh, done a great job. You know, you're talking Seth Jones, uh, you know, Blake Coleman, we all know. And uh, there's some young kids now down that have been drafted to uh, WHL teams and going to college. So the because of what they the foundation that they built. Um, before I even got here, uh, they've got a great, great hockey association. Down here. It's still an expensive sport though. It is an expensive sport. Very expensive. And that's, that's our biggest hurdle to our game going. Well, we all grew up in the era where you, if you were an athlete, you played everything, yes. you know, you played baseball in the summer and then you played uh, hockey in the winter time. And maybe you threw some basketball in there or, or whatever football in the fall. That's really not the case anymore, Jimmy. Uh, um, Kids no, focus on a sport real early, don't they? Yes, and that's probably my biggest. And you know, now that you bring that up, you open up a can of worms here. That that's my, I think that's one of our, I don't know what you call it, but faults or whatever. But it's important for kids to witness, to experience everything, and uh, we don't do that anymore. And I think a little bit shame on us. I think we need to get back to that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a young man learning how to hit a baseball when he's six years of age and play baseball all summer or golf or do lacrosse and play hockey. But we've we've got, I think because of the expense of the sports, building arenas, they got to sell ice in the summertime. So they force coaches to buy practice time. And I think we've just got ourselves into a, a motion here where we've, uh, we're restricting kids and I don't think it's right. I, I disagree with it. Uh, how we get out of that. I, I don't know. But curious. Do, do you think it helps the quality of the talent kids playing, you know, 11, 12 months a year where we used to play five months, maybe. I, I, I probably made, and this is now, this is where the backlash comes is 
you see these young kids coming out of now out of these under 18 teams mm-hmm. and out of junior the skill levels never been better never um you know it, it's amazing now the trouble is that's a small percentage of the overall you know there's so many other kids still playing hockey that don't make it to that level well, of course would they be better off playing other sports you know the percentage of, of kids that ever make it to the pro level is so small are we restricting those other kids from witnessing other things, experiencing other things? I'm, I'm, cu- I'm curious, uh, growing up in Hannah, Alberta, uh, what was your summer sport? Baseball? Baseball, a uh, little bit of golf. Yeah. Yep. Were you any good at baseball? You weren't going to get, you weren't going to get recruited to play baseball no, like you were? No, I wasn't going to get recruited. No, I wasn't going to get recruited. No, no. We, we played, actually we played fastball was a big thing. That was the big thing. Fastball, um, you know, we used to have the tournaments all around the small towns. We, we had a blast doing that. You know, I bet. Yeah. How's your golf game, though? Golf game could be better. Uh, as you become a GM, your golf game gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I love golf. I enjoy it. And uh, just wish you had more time to do it. You talk about the influences of Jimmy D and Kenny and, and, and Scotty. Uh, you played for Roger Nielsen. Yes. Um, I mean, I was part of that run with you guys in 82. It was, it was quite something. Why didn't you become a coach? Rather than rather than get into management, yeah. First of all, Roger, one of the best men you'll ever see, and, and it's amazing he doesn't get credit. What coaches are doing now, Roger was doing forty years ago, and uh, it's amazing. First of all, a great man, he cared about his players. What I loved about Roger was, and I was a fourth line guy, third fourth line guy. He made me feel like I was such an important part of that game. You know, even either before the game, during the game, or after the game, when you saw the results, and uh, he had a great knack for that. Uh, just a good man. Um, I forgot the question. Old, your well, question. Why, 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 with Rogers' influence on your oh, playing career, why, why, why wouldn't you be have become a coach rather than a, a manager? I, I actually did. I uh, Jimmy Devolano gave me the chance. It was the end of my career in Detroit. Uh, we were having a real tough year. I was thirty at the time, I believe, 33, 34. Yeah, I was towards the end of my career. They decided it was time to make changes. They're going to start bringing some young kids up. You know, the team was struggling. That was a real bad year for Detroit that year. So he offered me a chance to go down to uh, Adirondack. That was the farm team then of Detroit and uh, be an assistant coach. Barry Melrose was down there. So I was Barry, Barry Melrose's assistant coach. And it was down there for almost two years. And uh, I loved it, enjoyed it. Um, and what happened was during that time, uh, Brian Murray now became the general manager of uh, Detroit. He had to make some changes. He was going to make some changes down the minors. The Ottawa Senators were coming along. Mel mm-hmm. Bridgman became the general manager. I played with Mel, and he was looking for people because of the expansion draft and everything. He offered me a chance to go to Ottawa. Uh, they really didn't have the team yet and said, why don't you come on board? I'm looking for people I know and trust. And... I went with Mel to Ottawa, and that was the start of my managerial path, I guess. Started scouting for the expansion draft, uh, did some pros, did some amateurs. We didn't have any, there was no organization yet. So I got to try everything, and I really started to enjoy the managerial part of it, and uh, it took off from there. Is it fair to credit or blame as the case may be Roger Nielsen for the analytics world that we live in today? Uh, well, I think you need to give him credit for it. Um, you know, he was, uh, he, he was so like just the little things, you know, they had to put rules in because of Roger. Mm-hmm. He, he had a, he used to on face off the neutral zone. He first, he started, you know, he was always thinking of new ideas. He'd have the guy sit at one end of the bench uh, the face off was a certain part of the dog, depending on where the bench was back then. He'd have the other guy at the far end of the bench. He'd have the guy come off right off the draw and the guy go with the other door to try to get an advantage in the zone. Uh, he was so they, you know, they started, the referee started to watch that. They put in a rule. He used to pull the goalie and he'd have the goalie drop his stick in the stick, crease. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, so they put that rule in. So he's very innovative that way. Um, I still remember. He had some great ideas. He had a dog. He just loved his dog. Mike. And, yeah, Mike. And he, uh, he, Roger was trying to teach uh, forwards how to forecheck. And he'd have the defenseman, you know, so the defense was behind the net. How do you angle him? What's your angle and stuff? Well, some guys were having troubles picking it up. Well, he bought his, brought his dog out. He told the dog, don't let this guy get out behind the net. And the dog would just 
guy would start to walk out behind the net, the dog would move over this way. Dog would move over the other way to keep the guy, like herding sheep type of thing. Yeah. And he just, it, it was amazing on the things he thought of and different ideas he had. He, he was great. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, those that, that are too young or, I mean, if, if you're old enough, you'll remember Roger Nielsen. Um, but um, for those that are too young, um, these are the kinds of stories that are important to understand. Because if, above all else, he was an innovator. And there were, there were, I don't have to tell you, there were people who thought he was nuts. Yeah. And then there was, a, there was a coalition that said, you know, the guy's brilliant. The guy is yeah. way beyond anybody else in the game today. And you, yeah, you had the great opportunity to learn from him. Yeah, no, like, you know, he became captain video. Back then, mm -hmm. nobody did video. Yeah. Now, like I said, we talked about last night, we get on the plane, everybody's laptops are flipped up. Players are getting little tablets sent to them with their shifts. That was Roger Nielsen. He started this 40-some years ago. So uh, Bob asked about analytics. Where do you put analytics in, in with your team? It's important, uh, the, the art part of the game, or at least we got to figure out if they're part of the game, I guess, put it that way. Um, it's uh, what's the percentage? I don't know. We're digging into that. Uh, we've we worked with two or three analytic companies. We've hired, hired a firm that kind of works with us individually and is digesting all the information for us and then they present it to us and then we pass that on to more people um there, there's you know, there's two directions you go the one is with the team how's your team playing and the other one is players amateurs and pros how, how do you dissect that so we still have a i think our, our sport has a long ways to go yet with it um we're a little bit of a different unique sport you know baseball analytics it's a pitcher against a hitter Mm -hmm. You can kind of define those things. With us, you see some analytic numbers. You can have great analytic numbers, but the guy in the net might change everything or the post might change things. And so we're trying to find that balance uh, where it comes into play. But uh, it is an important part of the game. We're all looking for that extra 1% to be better than somebody else. Isn't it all about context? Trying yes. to figure out what the context is of the analytics? Yes. Yeah. What's What are the what are the parameters or what's, or what's the one thing in analytics that you can say we need to, what, what can you define to say that this is going to help our team? What's, what, what is it? Is there one or two things? There's so many numbers out there that you can get lost in it. And, but you need to have some consistency to it and you need to find, is it five things or eight things or 10 mm -hmm. things that you, you hang your hat on and say, let's dig into this. Let's stick with this and see if there's some results that either are positive or negative. Uh, before we let you go, um, the debate, you know, John and I are going to discuss it um, on the Olympics. Do you go? Do you not go? Uh, and, you know, this is an ongoing conversation that happens literally 12 months a year, uh, every year. But with what has evolved, what the situation is in China now, the political situation, and with COVID and the risk that players may not get out of there for as much as three weeks afterwards where do you sit on this jimmy well i'll probably sit on the fence just to make it easy for you but no uh, you know i was fortunate i played in the olympics and i i, I played in 1980 and mm -hmm. uh, back then it was a little lake placid and what a great thing to represent your country and, and i've talked to my players you know i've got john klingberg who's 30 years of age he knows this will be his last chance to ever go to the olympics and it's it's big for the players so i i fully understand that they to represent your country, there's no better honor. And to play against the best on best, these guys are wired. They, they love this type of competition. So I fully understand the player's point of view. Now, they're also, they also have their concerns. It's not like they're all saying, yeah, we got to go. They, oh, yeah. They're smart. They're smart. They, they know the concerns. I think as we move forward, we'll see. Let's, get, let's see where things are at. Uh, I, from the bouncing around here, from the owner's point of view, from the management point of view, you know, February is, is probably our ideal business time to run our business mm -hmm. for hockey. You know, sure. baseball's over, the NFL's over. There's a risk of injury of players going over, you know, affecting New York Islanders the one year John Tavares got hurt. So there's that fear. The one year we had Steve Eisenman, I think that was Salt Lake City, had a bad knee and he went. Mm -hmm. We were concerned about him and it affected him a little bit. He missed some time coming back. So it can affect your business also. Um, but I think it's great for our sport. Uh, it's, it puts us on the global market. It sells our sport. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's in a situation where it's in China during COVID. And 
this world just it doesn't make it easy for us but uh, i know we'll we'll make the right decisions the players will make the right decisions there's still some questions you know they talk about if you get cold there how long do you stay there uh how quick can you get back a lot of unanswered questions let's see where it goes here the next three weeks i think we'll have a better feel of where it's at but we've we've heard three weeks like players would have to stay for as much as at three least, weeks at least yeah at least you know, are can, you, can you he you're hearing different no, no I, I've, I've heard the same thing you have i think they're still waiting to get you know it's not easy you know get confirmation from probably from the chinese federation here's our rules and that and uh yeah. you know, communication isn't easy in those type of situations Okay, so you've got uh, four goaltenders. Uh, ben Bishop is uh, in uh, Austin, I guess, right now. Is yes, that right? Correct. Yes. Uh, correct. Did he play last night? Yeah, he did. Yes. And how did he do? I uh, lost eight to four. Eight. That's yeah, not eight. Good. Yeah, it was a tough night. No, tough night. He hasn't played for. Yeah, it's been almost two years, and uh, it's tough. But you, but so you have, I mean, Ottinger, Bishop, Holtby, Hudobin. Yes. Is your phone ringing? I've been talking to teams. Uh, we're in a good situation. I've got, uh, you know, we've got Hopi, who's been, he's kind of re-resurrected his career. He's, he's been great for us. Uh, everybody knows Anton Kadobin came in and took us to the Stanley Cup run. There's probably no better backup than Anton Kadobin. He's got that personality for it. Uh, and then Jay Gottinger, uh, who last year was in the bubble with us, had to play because of the injuries to Bishop. Uh we had him at camp. We thought he needed to play more games. We talked about these taxi squads. So we sent him down. He went down, played great. We had an injury up top. He's come up top and he's grabbed it. Mm -hmm. And so we got a good situation where I know I got three healthy goalies. Uh, I can always, I have the flexibility to send Jake out here back down. He doesn't need waivers. So, so I got some flexibility. We're just kind of walking through it, see where things go. Um, there's going to be injuries in the league, but I, I know this much, uh, it's better to have three than none. So we'll, we'll just kind of manage as we go forward. So, so just curious, if the right offer comes, is it something that you might do well before the deadline? There's, yeah, the possibility. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to wait and see. You know, Jake, Jake's played six games now. Let's mm -hmm. let's see where he's at. Uh, does he keep grabbing it or does he hit a bump on the road? Uh, do I get an injury with one of our guys? Uh, can change things. So it's really, I'm flexible. Uh, I don't... I'm not, I'm not cornered. You know, I can take my time, walk through this, and we'll see where things go. Uh, we wish you uh, continued success. And I say continued because, uh, obviously, um, uh, you've had great success in uh, your role as a... Hey, uh, hey Bob, can I ask one more question? No, you can't, but okay. <laughs> okay. I, I just... Listen, listen, can't listen, stop him, Jim. No, I know. <laughs> Jim, Jim knows that, too. <laughs> um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the great human stories... Uh, in our sport is the relationship you and your wife have uh, with the struggle your wife has gone through. Uh, can you just tell us uh, how it, how you've been able to balance your life with your wife, Rebecca, who's, who's battled cancer for a long time and ap appears to be coming through the other side pretty darn well. And how have you, how have you been able to do the balance of, of this non nine to five world with the needs of your family and, and needs of what you need to, how you support your wife? Yeah, well, you know what? She's a special person. Uh, she's really, um, the way she lives her life, um, it, it could have been, it would have been easy for her to say, you know what, I, I quit or I have a pity party for me. She's never done that. And it's been all about her family. I've got a great family with three kids, uh, four grandkids, just had a grandchild two days ago. Wow, so congratulations. That. Yeah, so it's the best. But uh, her, she's a special person. And uh, what, what she's gone through and how she's lived it and accepted her, um, instead of sitting back and saying, you know, poor me, where's this going to go? She's the opposite. She has said, you know what, how can I, how can I, I spread my love to the world? And she has done that. And it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. Uh, if you ever get a chance to meet her, she just, she's, She's walking with God and uh, he's blessed her and us as a family and uh, just the way she handles herself and tried. Her whole goal is she's been put on this world. How can I go help other people? And that's how she takes it. 
and and correct me if I'm wrong. She's she actually goes uh, and advocates with with cancer groups and with yes. even at, even at your games. Correct? She even she, at host, games. she hosts people. Yeah, she hosts people. We she she gets treatments every three weeks. She'll have that for the rest of her life. And even when we go to the uh, when she goes to a treatment center at the hospital, uh, she bumps into people. She's helping people there. Um, you know, there's people there in tough situations, and she'll walk up, put her arms around them, and say, hey, I'm going, I'm going through the same thing. Can I help you? And the friendships uh, that we have made through all this, you know, I remember the one time we went to a treatment center and, you know, she's going through treatments, you know, not feeling great about it, but you got to do it. And all of a sudden she looked across and here's a, a young girl that's 20 years of age with a baby going through treatments. And she's sitting there saying, you know, Becky said, how can I, I, I got four kids and grandkids. God's blessed me. This poor young lady's 20 years of age. And so she'll, She'll help her out any way she can, and that's just who she is. Puts uh, the four nothing loss in perspective, though, doesn't it? Well, that that's the other thing. That's that's what's probably helped me. You know, I, I can you know we get frustrated, we get mad and stuff, and then I sit back. You know, some players complain about his ice time, and I sit back and say, you know what, we'll work through this. So it's probably helped uh, calm. I don't know if it was calm, but it's put a new perspective in life for me. When sure. when the wheels are coming off, I sit back and say, hey, come on. So it's, there's, there's more things bigger in life and we'll, we'll get through this. It'll be okay. So, so it's helped that way. Thanks well, for you, asking. You know, we, uh, we wish both of you uh, continued good health and um, we thank you very much for taking a few minutes for us uh, while you're on the road. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to do it again somewhere down the road. Thank you, Jim, very much. Yeah, guys, thanks again for having me on and uh, look forward to seeing you around the rink here someday. Merry Christmas, nice. Jimmy. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, Merry Christmas. All the best holidays to you guys. Take care. And to Thanks you. Jim Nell of the Dallas Stars. We'll come back and wrap after this message. Our thanks to Jim Nell for uh, joining us. He's the uh, GM of the Dallas Stars. A most interesting conversation. So since we last chatted, um, the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> have uh, put their front office and on-ice organization back in gear. Um, of course, they hired Bruce Boudreaux and then hired Jimmy Rutherford. Yeah, another guest of the podcast. So it's, uh, it's one well, of it's those all things. our guys. And I mean, clearly, Vancouver can't, can't come up with an idea on their own. All they do is watch or listen to this show and, and we tell them what to do. Well, and, and uh, those people that are out of work. And you're welcome, by the way. Uh, those people are out of work. You know how to contact us and uh, well, we'll, yeah. we'll interview you and, and, and maybe you'll get a, get a chance at a job. Well, um, this was a little bit different, I think, in Vancouver. Hiring two guys that two had Two senior no, citizens. Well, there's that. But two guys that didn't have any kind of tie to the organization in any way, shape, or form, really. And I think that's important. Well, I do too. Um, and I don't think it was accidental. I think it was probably pretty deliberate, don't you think? Yeah, I do. Uh, you, you know what, what I've been told um, in in the last couple of days is that uh, when they finally decided to make a change, uh, ownership um, uh, put two names on a piece of paper, and the names were Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreaux, and they went out and got them, and they got the guys they wanted. And you can sit here and say, well, you know, they talked about casting a, a wide net and you know, they they had done their due diligence, um, had talked to people within the hockey world, uh, and both Boudreaux and Rutherford were the guys that are, were at the top of the list. Have you uh, talked to Jimmy? By yes. Any yep. Yeah. yeah. I've talked to both of them. Um, you know, and I, I, Jimmy's going to arrive in Vancouver this weekend uh, and to, to evaluate what's going on. It's pretty easy to look at a team that Bruce has coached to two straight victories. Um, and there's lots of talent in Vancouver, uh, but really, I, I, I think the influence that Jim will have um, in the next three years, because that's the length of his contract, is how to restructure the, uh, the front office. You know, he's going to hire a general manager. He's probably got to rebuild the, the full hockey operations group, We're obviously working with people, some of the people that are still there. Uh, like Stan Smeal, Ryan Johnson, 
Um, but there has to be a, I, I think when you hire somebody and you go outside and hire somebody like Rutherford, you know that you are making a paradigm shift in your game philosophy. Uh, and that's exactly what's needed in Vancouver at this point. I'm told the owner uh, flew to Carolina to talk to Mr. Rutherford. Um, I gather um, because Jimmy wasn't, wasn't 100% committed right from the get-go. Here's what's interesting, Bob. Uh, Francesco Aquilini has been uh, working a lot in, in the East in the last two weeks. Um, in fact, uh, met in person with both of them, uh, uh, as, as you mentioned, Jim, uh, and then um, met with Bruce uh, here in Toronto. Uh, uh, last, I mean, it would be, what's today, Friday? So nine days ago, met with Bruce nine days ago here in Toronto. Bruce was uh, in Ontario for some Hockey Canada meetings because he was supposed to go be an assistant coach at the Spangler Cup. Uh, and uh, uh, Francesco and Bruce met, uh, had a long discussion about uh, what was going on. And then uh, when they pulled the trigger on the Sunday morning after the Pittsburgh loss, Francesco watched the game, Francesco watched the game like we did on Saturday night in, in, in Toronto. Huh. Um, and, and then uh, what happened was, uh, he had his private plane fly from Toronto to Hershey, Pennsylvania, pick Bruce and his wife up, Candace, and flew back to Toronto. Francesco got on the plane and they flew to Vancouver. And that's how quickly the decision was made on the Sunday morning to get Bruce to Vancouver. And that's how Bruce was on the ice first thing Monday morning for the morning skate uh, for their game on Monday night. Do you believe Rutherford was essentially committed by the time Boudreaux was announced as coach? Yes, I do. Uh, so therefore, I, I, he he potentially could have blessed Bruce Boudreaux. I or, totally agree. Or not. Or not. Correct. But uh, you, you know, here's the here's the fascination, and and there's no there's there's really when when you think about synergy and you, and coincidence, these guys played together a long time ago. They played in the NHL together for the Maple Leafs. Uh, they're both Toronto boys. Uh, they both have a, a, a simple passion for the game. They have been friends forever. Uh, they had joked in previous times and in previous places about, wouldn't it be great to work together one day? Uh, to me, this is just uh, the, the fulfillment of, of that storyline, is that finally two, two guys have known each other for a long, long, long time uh get to get to work together in vancouver so rutherford will um ultimately become the president of hockey ops which is what he is that's what he is now yeah and but we'll but we'll hire a general manager correct will that general manager have autonomy no. given jim rutherford's no 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 but but the, jimmy rutherford's 72 years old oh no i get it no and and i i think i i think really in many ways, the and this is where it's different than in Montreal. This is where it's different than Montreal with Jeff Gorton being in that senior position and hiring a general manager. I think Jim Rutherford is there to mentor. I, I think he's he's in Vancouver to steer the ship to get the right person in place uh, so that in three years, when Jim's 75, now Jim will, uh, Jim will say, I'm going to, you know, 75, we'll see what happens, is that, um, that, that Jim could give more autonomy to the manager at that point but make no mistake about it bob everything in vancouver will run through jim rutherford's office oh i i have no doubt about that look at the reason he left pittsburgh quite shockingly and surprisingly um almost a year ago um uh march it was march i thought it was january it might it might have been we we had him on in march i apologize yeah you're right yeah um was essentially because he was getting some interference. Yes. He was, he would, he, he did not feel like he had the autonomy to make the decisions he had to make, wanted to make that he'd had previously. Well, somebody fact, was sticking their nose in. in. Well, David Morehouse is the president of the club. Um, in fact, uh, was actually told to, to, he had to get rid of one of his assistant general managers uh, that Jim did not want to do at the time. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. There was it, it, it. He would never say that publicly. I'm not sure he'd even say it privately. Uh, but there was certainly uh, it, it became a point where Jim said, listen, if I can't do it my way, 
I don't want to do it here anymore. Right. And, and, and the penguins and, and Jim decided to, uh, uh, to, to split. Uh, but if you I go did. back, if you go back and listen to that show that we did with him, it, it would become my recollection is he made it quite clear that retirement wasn't really oh, in his plan. Definitely not. You know, I, I had actually heard that there was uh, a, a lot of interest in, in Jim in, with Anaheim. Uh, and again, to be the president and then to nurture a new manager along uh, in, in a two-man system. So, um, you know, in the short term, Jim will do both jobs un until they find somebody, until he finds somebody that he feels comfortable with to be that new general manager. And when you look at the lineage that he's created, I mean, Jason Botterill, uh, Billy Guerin, Tom Fitzgerald, uh, Jason Carmanos, uh, Ron Francis. These are all people uh, that are still in the game uh, in, in, in various teams uh, that Jim Rutherford touched, that Jim Rutherford made better people. Paul Maurice. Oh, Paul oh, Maurice. Yeah. Well, with no, dis and no disrespect, but you stay in the game long enough and that's going to happen. And Jim Rutherford has been in the game since as long as I can remember. Old as dirt. We've got less than a minute here. Um, and I wanted to talk about, uh, we'll do more of it in the coming days and weeks. Do you think the NHL is going to wind up going to China? Just don't know yet. I, I think that they will try to make it work for the players. This was part of the commitment that, uh, that Gary Bettman made oh, I get to the it. players when they got their four-year extension in the collective bargaining agreement. This was a commitment he made. I think they will try their damnedest to get to Beijing. Yes. Well, That's, is, that, is that my personal preference? No, but I do think that they will try to make sure uh, that, uh, that everything happens uh, to, to ensure that it does occur. January 10th is the key day, Bob. January 10th is the decision date yep. that they have to make without paying any financial penalties. Uh, and we may, we may even know before that, but uh, there's, a, there's probably a chance that we may not know that either. Uh, that is all for us. Um, have yourselves a nice weekend. Thanks for uh, watching or listening, as the case may be, for uh, John Shannon, Bob McCowan. See you on Monday.